Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration required. Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration Before we get started with today's episode, I want to take a second to talk to y'all about Anchor. If you're anything like me, you've kind of recently fallen into the world of podcasting, both on the listening and creating side. I recently found a bunch of podcasts that I love and decided it was about time that I make one of my own because I love talking to people and I love sharing creative ideas and this was just the perfect way to do that, but I had no idea how to do it because of course I've never done it before. But some of the podcasts I listened to mentioned Anchor and I decided to check it out and it is the best decision I have ever made. Anchor is a free podcasting service that allows you to record, distribute, and pick the cover art and music for your own podcast. I mean, what else can you ask for? It makes the whole process so simple, especially for those of us who are just starting out and really have no idea what we're doing. And in order to distribute your podcast, it takes little to no work from you at all. Anchor will distribute your podcast to places like Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, the whole nine yards. And you can just watch yourself grow and change. And it's a great way to develop that learning experience. So if anyone is interested in making a podcast anytime soon or ever, really, Go to anchor.fm to check it out. Now on with the episode. What is up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to the Fangirl Files podcast. I'm Sabrina, and Madison is actually not in today because she is out defending her thesis this week. We are both officially back at school for the spring semester here at ASU, We are both technically seniors, so it's a busy time, but I wanted to hop on this week to chat with y'all because it just didn't seem fair to leave you guys hanging without an episode. So I'm actually not going to be alone today. My boyfriend, Reed, is coming on, and we are going to discuss C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. If you don't know who those people are, they wrote the Narnia and the Lord of the Rings series, respectively, and we are both massive fans. So we are going to be having a little debate because, funnily enough, these two authors tie in very closely with each other. So, without further ado, I am going to welcome Reed. Hi, Reed. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you, Sabrina? <laughs> we both think this is very weird because we never call each other by our names, so bear with us because it's a little odd. But... Usually we just make grunting noises. <laughs> or be like, hey, you. Yeah, hey, you. Or, 
things yeah. along those lines. Just pterodactyl noises. Exactly. We're we're dinosaurs. Jurassic Park ain't got nothing on us. Don't even worry about it. Uh, <laughs> so anyways. How, so, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. We're both really excited for this topic because I think we both go way back with both of the authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you've been a fan of Tolkien's writing in Lord of the Rings for how long? Oh, for... Uh, ages. I, I remember I'd sit underneath this tree by the playground and uh, read Lord of the Rings in like fifth grade and it, it's good stuff. Yeah. And you've been with C.S. Lewis for a while too. So much of my life I think. I can't remember what age it was but you know how we had those scholastic book fairs? <laughs> the scholastic book fairs! Yes. Where like, you go and you just... Or like you'd get the catalog and they'd order you books. <laughs> my mom did that and the, the box set for the Narnia series was oh. pretty cheap. And at the time, I was just a little kid. I'd only seen the movies, and I didn't know there were seven books. So, of course, I was very confused upon my reading them as to why the Pevensies weren't in all seven. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, I think The Magician's Nephew was, like, an awesome book. And then I remember Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Um, the third book, I know the title of, and I don't like it. Um, I know Prince Caspian, Don Treader, Silver Chair, and then The Final Battle, obviously. All amazing books, and they all just wove together really beautifully, and I think I've read up two or three times, maybe. I was probably nine, and then probably eleven or twelve when I read it again. All so, it's been a long time. This episode has been sponsored by Scholastic. I wish. I really wish. If I could get, like money for promoting publishing companies or not even money i would sponsor these people for free oh yeah they could just send me advanced readers copies of books and i would be happy you would cry i would it would be like have you seen those book boxes that like you get sent a book of the month every month that's what oh, i want yeah, yeah. <laughs> i need that anyways be a book influencer i would love to <laughs> i would please Guys, we now have a YouTube channel for the Fangirl Files, and it is obviously the same name as our podcast, very same cover art. We will be posting our episodes, recordings of us, like, recording, you know, and then we're probably also going to post original content, which much of it is going to be me doing BookTube. I have decided this, and I'm... So excited. So yes, Woo-hoo. book influencer She's so for me. so excited she did her little excited dance. Yeah. You guys will probably see it in one of the videos one of these times, but it's okay. Not not now. Yes. Anyways. Tolkien Tol- and Lewis. Tolkien and Lewis. So, um, Clive Staples Lewis. Clive Staples Lewis. <laughs> I didn't know because I never thought to look. He's but just... It- he popped out of the womb, CS. <laughs> Other letters don't matter, just CS. Oh my god. Oh no, uh, but anyways, Clive Staples Lewis and John Ronald Rule Tolkien. Quite chonky names, let's just say. Very chonky. Better known as CS Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, or like. As best buddies as best buddies could get. And teacher friends Mm -hmm. and literary friends and just... 
Just, brainstorming partners. They, yeah. They, they had a whole bromance going on. Seriously. Um, I mean, they had a like informal book club called The Inklings where they basically just got together. They read bad prose and just tried to see who would not who could go without laughing the oh longest my God. they just straight up roasted people but also and each other and each other of course because best friends are the meanest to each other of oh course that's God. not promoting toxic relationships i'm saying no but like if if you fall down you expect your best friend to laugh <laughs> that's perfect that's the perfect way that, to that's it. what we're saying here. yeah exactly and c.s lewis nominated tolkien for a nobel prize which i think is in the secret. most adorable thing ever he did it in secret because he didn't want him to be like oh you just nominated me because of my friend and nobody knew until like 50 years later that's so cute i know they were such good uh, friends goals. I, Love that. Goals, goals, goals. Yes. And also, they even, they talked a lot about literature as well. Um, yeah. They agreed that C.S. Lewis would do, quote unquote, space travel to his universe, or like portals and stuff, whereas yeah. Tolkien would do, quote unquote, time travel and do like a different time period. That works surprisingly well for both of yeah, their books. It, do- it really does. Not that Tolkien is doing a lot of time travel in Lord of the Rings. I, I think it meant like... more in the sense of like, not, oh, this is about time travel, but my universe is in a different time, your universe and, is in a different space. And also, like, his universe is very much so reliant on the concept of time, mm-hmm. whereas C.S. Lewis's one time is not linear. Exactly. I think that's what makes it work so well. Especially since Tolkien was part... One of the other reasons I like Tolkien is he's big into linguistics and Old Norse and has some understanding of... I think it was Finnish. I'm not entirely sure, to be perfectly honest. But um, good old J.R.R. Tolkien... Shoot, I forgot the direction I was going. Oh, Tolkien was, like, big into that history-languagey stuff. So some of the languages in his, like... Um, those of you who've seen the movies, the people on horseback, the writers of Rohan, they speak, um, was it older Middle English? I forget, but he, he uses it as... I feel like it would have been Middle English. It was, yeah, it was Middle English because the dwarves spoke in The Hobbit Old English, which he later translated into his own constructed language, which is one of the things that's coolest about Tolkien. He literally built entire languages from scratch. Anyway, I'm getting out of myself. I'm sorry. I think, no, you're good. I mean, I think that, like... One of the best things about them both is their world building skills. Mm-hmm. If we may jump around yeah, a little bit. Yeah, do you want to jump straight to world building? I mean, we can go back to everything else. Yeah. But I would love to go into world building. I think they both have a consistent talent for that. And I think that's very much so mm-hmm. a product of their friendship with each other. Because I'm yeah. sure they bounced ideas off of one another. Their creativity must have rubbed off on one another. Or like influenced them in some way. Because For sure. If you look at Tolkien's role, it's very, very intricate. He's developed a whole language. He's developed mm-hmm. several different species. And yeah. I mean, well, Marnie as well. I assume, oh, you, I assume oh, you could go oh, off on I that. I could go off. There's hundreds, of, hundreds, maybe thousands of different species in the uh, Narnian land universe. There's so many. And the fact that, um, you know, animals are personified as well. Yeah. That's another thing, but... Not to mention, it like it, it goes over a whole period of time with all sorts of different characters and stuff. Right. It goes... 
the best thing to me, and I'm going to jump a little around. Yeah, that's totally fine. The best thing about it to me is that C.S. Lewis, I guess Tolkien does this in a way when he's describing, like, Frodo's relationship to the ring mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I'm thinking of the movies because I haven't read the books. I gotcha. But you know how at the beginning he's what, what like, a, laying just... out like... why the rings are important and, like... Mm-hmm. That's, I guess that that's what Tolkien does in his way of, like, setting the scene. I gotcha. But the way that, and I assume that that happens in the books. No, um, what's it like for C.S. Lewis? Because I'm not as familiar with Narnia. C.S. Lewis, it starts with a creation myth, almost. Mm. It starts with this little child who lives with his uncle, And he discovers Narnia with a friend of his. And basically they're watching the creation of the world. And the way that it's... And what I mean is, have you seen the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe? Yes. Like the movie? Because they touch upon it lightly. I don't know if you would remember this exact part. But do you remember when they're at like the war camp? Because you haven't I read think, the Narnia that, books, right? I, I did a while ago. Like, I read it when Okay, I was... well, I'm going to reference the movie for also some of you who haven't was read the Was that the, the book with the centaurs? Yes. Yeah, So okay. when they're at the war camp and then the the witch shows up, the white witch. Yes, yes. And she declares war and Aslan's like, no. And then <laughs> all of a sudden she goes, you remember the laws upon which Narnia was built. Oh. You were there and so was I. Mm-hmm. What the magician's nephew does is it basically writes those bylaws out. Oh, okay. And has them, like, in a ceremony creating, like, their bylaws as a country, I suppose. Okay. Because they do refer to it as a country, although it is not... I getcha. Worldly. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's, That's cool. I think people usually think of Narnia as just lion, witch, and wardrobe... Because that's what Hollywood has made it exactly. Out to be. They've just they took the second book and like, hey, let's let's make this everything. But I mean, I think there's that whole important backstory stuff that you're a lot better versed in than I am. Right, that's really because establishes a lot. Even in the movie, the line, the witch in the wardrobe, they didn't make it everything. Mm-hmm. They lightly said like, oh, do you remember the bylaws? Right. They never said what those bylaws are. They never really specified. Yeah. How does, long does the book do Narnia? that? Yes, because oh, wow. that's the way it is. The, the way the series chronicles out is the first one is about the magician's nephew, which the magician is the uncle of the main character, mm-hmm. and that uncle has basically like possessed this ring that ended up creating this other world. Mm. And then, so that's where Narnia is created and how they're creating the bylaws and such. And then... Second book is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the Pevensies come in and they discover Narnia and they end up mm-hmm. ruling. The third book is kind of like showing what happens during their rule. I getcha. And I don't necessarily love it all that much because it didn't focus on them. It was just like a period of time during okay. which they were ruling. And then the fourth one is Prince Caspian, where obviously Narnia has been overrun by caspian's people and then they have to join together to take it back mm-hmm. and then there's the dawn treader where peter and susan are done with narnia they've outgrown it they're too mm-hmm. old so edmund and lucy go back and it's only been three years and they travel across the sea with prince caspian 
to kind of save their current Mm -hmm. civilization. And then they have their cousin with them, Eustace, who in the silver chair goes back alone with one of his friends. And Caspian, by this point, is an old man, so they have to kind of protect the land themselves because he is unable Mm -hmm. to. And then I don't remember really what happens in the final battle. I just remember being very confused Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure how everyone that had ever been mentioned had ended up in Narnia because they said Peter and Susan were too old and somehow they were there and... We're doing spring cleaning and found the wardrobe again. You know, no, that's not not what happened. I was just kidding. But I think they had all died. Hmm. If somebody knows, please tell me. <laughs> because I was so little, I would have to reread it. I have not had the time. That was a big tangent. But a lot like, of reading to do, yes. But like all of C.S. Lewis's books go off of one another. Yeah. In terms of world building. And it just progresses and progresses and progresses until it reaches that boiling point. Yeah. That, make, that makes a lot... I've, haven't really thought about all that world building. Yeah. Because there's certainly a lot. And I mean, I think the fact that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had these, like, what was basically an informal world building club, it really goes to show how in-depth and collaborative the process was. I think Tolkien, too, has a very elaborate world. Um, Like, in this, he doesn't go into the creation myth in Lord of the Rings. Right. Lord of the Rings starts with, like in the movie, Bilbo's 111th birthday. Big old, big old snappy party and stuff. Yeah. And it's basically written as a sequel to The Hobbit. So right. that's probably why it didn't quite make as much sense. But a lot of his world building happens within like the Silmarillion where he does go into a creation myth where um, Iluvantar sings the world into creation and it's a really beautiful story but he doesn't put that in Lord of the Rings and then the character of Arwen in the movies in the book she's hardly a footnote she's really not there it's basically just the men so you have to really dig through the footnotes and the other texts to get all that but then at the same time he'll also throw in big globs of lore where you where you don't want it like oh see this tree there's a fox right here or Oh, it, it, I remember vividly it went into a ton of depth about the elven rope around Gollum's neck. And I remember reading that and thinking, why are you telling me about how this rope burns his skin so much? Like, th- that's a little much. Probably because you were story. also younger when you were reading yeah. that too. And now you're like, you know what? And I appreciate it. Yeah, there's a lot more details that I appreciate in more depth now with like the Silmarillion and stuff. But it's... And I'm by no means attacking... Tolkien's world building. I no. love this stuff. I, I mean, I've got like the Tolkien stuff on my wall right now. Yeah, it's, you are a big Tolkien fan. It's good stuff. Not as big as Stephen Colbert. He's like, yeah. huge. I don't know why I brought yeah. that up. I am getting off track. We are getting very off track. This episode is going to be a mess. It's kind of yes. late as we're recording this. We've had a long day. So this is going to be all over the place. Bear with us. Fix and post. Yes, fix it in post. That's that's the phrase. We love production. (laughs) It's like Star Wars. But, no, I get you because that's how I feel about, or that's how I used to feel Mm -hmm. about um, The Magician's Nephew. Yeah. Because it didn't, because at the time, again, I was young and I I liked the movies. Mm -hmm. And so I liked the characters from the movies and I wanted to see more of them. 
whereas the magician's nephew does not have them. Yeah, I get per se. And and now, like looking back on it, I really want to reread the magician's nephew Mm -hmm. as a twenty-some-year-old and look more into the creation myths. A a lot of of the that, but it's like he does very good with creation myths. Mm -hmm. And tying it into religion as well. And I think that's largely because they're sort of different academic backgrounds where yeah. C.S. Lewis was sort of a, um, I don't I know. I believe, didn't he go to Catholic school, I feel like? Uh, uh, well, no, I, C.S. Lewis was atheist actually for a while, but he converted to Christianity because Tolkien was a devout Roman Catholic. He converted to Protestantism. And oh my then, God, he converted for him. And then Tolkien got angry because he converted to Protestantism instead of Catholicism. Romantic. I think it's kind of funny too that... I love Triangle. That Tolkien was very, very religious, but it's C.S. Lewis that's full of religious yeah. allegories. It's all because Aslan is obviously an allegory for God. Yeah, a, a very obvious Jesus allegory. Because they say he disappears traveling between worlds for mm-hmm. years on end. And Not it's a m- very, very special occurrence when he touches mm-hmm. their land. And that's why it's so significant when the Pevensies come around. Because mm-hmm. he then is like, I have to speak to these children. Yeah. Not to mention the resurrection of Aslan. That's oh my god! That's yeah. like that's direct oh my Jesus. Um, I think part of that the is the fact that, that the was, I'm that... having so many light bulbs. <laughs> oh my goodness! Hang on. So obviously, there's the scene where the witch is set to execute him, mm-hmm. and wait. so basically, how uh, how it leads to Aslan's execution is Lucy discovers Narnia. Mm-hmm. She tells Edmund. Edmund doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. The rest of the family doesn't believe her. Then Edmund goes, and he meets the White Witch. He's Judas? He is Judas. I yes. was getting there. He's... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So he is the one that rats them out, and he says to the White Witch, we're doing this to meet Aslan. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, oh, fuck. And then she binds Aslan and plunges a dagger through his heart. Essentially, they... He's not crucified. He's laid against a stone, but he is... He's sacrificially and painfully murdered. Right. And returns from the dead. Yeah. And it's the way that he was magically healed by love, and he sacrificed Mm -hmm. himself for the love of the country and the love of those children. Yeah. So that they wouldn't be harmed. And C.S. Lewis intended that allegory as well. In fact, that was one of Tolkien's criticisms of C.S. Lewis. Because they were friends, but they didn't always agree on writing or English teaching and stuff like that. Um, Tolkien, despite being very religious, was huge into fairy tales and myths. Partially, that's one of the things I've come to appreciate about Tolkien's writing. A lot of stuff seems silly. Like, his poetry is not good. But then I've like read some of his translations of Middle English texts and like looked at the Middle English myself, and a lot of it is specifically only like good if you have that specific academic expertise and you're like, ah, oh, okay, yeah. okay. And Tolkien was very much into fairy tales and what they say about the human condition, mm-hmm. whereas C.S. Lewis was very much into what God says exactly. About the human condition to be honest which i think sort of draws the differences between their world building styles 
and is also that each and I think it goes into that saying each of the Pevensey children has a flaw. Mm-hmm. And like uh, and it's a fatal flaw. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I guess very allegorical. Yeah. Whereas Tolkien will throw in Tom Bombadil, a fat singing fairy like man with wearing bright colors, who's just like, oh yeah, he threw him in because his kids liked the character and because it's similar to XYZ fairy tales, makes it seem more like a fairy tale. That doesn't, right. Tom Bombadil doesn't have a character flaw other than that he's silly. It doesn't feed into larger alle- religious allegories, but it feeds into what he's trying to do. Build a fairy tale. Yeah. And speaking of fairy tales, I kind of want to say to you, would you classify Lord of the Rings as a children's book, a young adult book, or like somewhere in between that and like the book for a scholar and somebody who's more interested in like the myth- like mythological and lore side of things? Well, I know Hobbit was a kid's book. It was written as a kid's book. And you as a kid didn't like it. So clearly not. not, I couldn't stand it. I liked it, but I see why you don't like it. I decided to read that first, though. Mm. I wanted to read the prequel, and then I wanted to read Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and And you're watching Lord of the Rings with me, and you didn't know what The Hobbit was because you didn't read The Hobbit. And and that's okay. It's just I understood that Frodo was a Hobbit. I just didn't know what that entailed. That's fair. No, Please don't judge me. Yeah, she's. she knew what a hobbit was. She didn't know all the little things. Like, they eat a lot of food and have second breakfasts, things like that. Second breakfast! Yeah, I love You are basically a, like a hobbit. I am hobbit. a hobbit, you except a with hobbit. tiny feet. You are a hobbit with tiny feet instead of big hairy feet. Yes. But I think that it's a good, like, I know that you said hobbit was classified as a kid's book. I think Lord of the Rings was written more as an adult's book, especially... Yeah, I think I he think the language it. in it, as well as like mm-hmm. the lore and the concepts, are probably. Um, he, he has an eighty-page section for the Council of Elrond, where it's literally just a giant meeting. I don't think I th- kids would enjoy that. I think what he probably intended was that children read The Hobbit, and then they know that Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. exists. So when they okay grow, they probably are like, I want to read about. I gotcha. The, you know what I mean. Whereas YA novels aim instead to target both audience instead of feeding into it. Yes, and it's right? like... Is that accurate? You're the YA expert. What YA does is it looks at like... You know how in most novels mm-hmm. that are fictional, the character has a full character arc and they've grown into the person that they want to be by the end. Mm-hmm. And they're perfect yes. by the end. YA does not do that. YA has small, little realizations within it. Mm-hmm. And, um, like... You know that by the end, there is still room for growth. Okay. And I think in Lord of the Rings, Frodo is very much so influenced by Gandalf. Mm-hmm. And by everyone that's accompanying him on his journey and not so much looking within himself. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's so vulnerable to the ring. Okay. Whereas, like, in any other YA novel, it would cause the character to look inside themselves for that growth okay do you know what i'm saying yeah no that's that's an i think that's a great observation i didn't think about it that way and then i think c.s lewis obviously wrote narnia as a children's book mm-hmm. through and through all the way until the end mm-hmm. it was all for children yeah because it 
I mean, granted, these it was before the time when YA was revolutionized to have those smaller character arcs. So the mm. children in Narnia are tackling very real-world problems like adults. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'm going to reference the line, The Witch and the Wardrobe again, because that's the one with the most consistent, like, childlike plot. The Pevensies are sent off to live with the professor at his... Um, mansion, and Peter's very much so like, no, I can be the adult, I can take care of this family, and he doesn't allow himself to even go into the vulnerable space of, I'm going to miss my mother, or I'm going to miss my family, because he's probably only 15 or 16 at the time of this, like, so he's taken on a full father role. So it's before. So the children in Narnia really don't go through a lot of self-discovery, except for maybe Edmund, who goes from being Judas to being pretty decent. Yeah. The but I think he wrote it as a children's novel because a lot of it was written for those adventures that child, like the adult-like adventures that children mm-hmm. wanted to embark on, like war, yeah. like discovering a new land, like. Building an empire, to Appealing be honest. to their sense of fantasy. Right. And it's like, those were very adult concepts at the time, because World War II had just ended. Mm-hmm. It was the 1950s. Granted, C.S. Lewis was in Europe, but it was still very much so with Nazi Germany and everything. Like, it's touched upon in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe that London is being bombed by planes. Mm-hmm. It is the middle of World War II. He's very aware of that being a trope. Mm-hmm. And so he wants kids to feel like, oh, I can do some good. Yeah. And so I think that that was a lot more so aimed for children because it wasn't complicated to understand even yeah. for a 9 or 10-year-old. But I think Tolkien is a little different. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's a really insightful perspective. Yeah, I think... I just think it was better for children overall and it just... It never got less childlike, even as they yeah. grew. It it had a sort of mysticism. I like that about it. Yeah, it was. And then if the characters changed, they were completely different people by mm-hmm. the end. Not like the little arcs with room for error. Yeah. Like Edmund, I just said, like he stops being Judas and he's this fully changed mm-hmm. man. And it's consistent like that. He's suddenly this man with honor and everybody forgets, oh, he ratted them out. Yeah. And... It's this whole big change, or even later on with Eustace and the Don Treader has this full 180 from this like arrogant little shit to this person <laughs> that's like, I want to save Narnia and my yeah. cousins and my family, and he goes back with the intent to protect Narnia. Yeah. So it's like he has a full character arc, not one that a child would have. So would you say that um, Narnia is a better marker of the... Um is a better marker of the transition to more literature targeted for children. Yes. Okay. I would say so. I don't think Lord of the Rings is suited for, like, yeah. younger children. Yeah. It I may be he's... good for 15, 16, but I think younger children who can't really wrap their head around the lore of Lord of the Rings, yeah. and maybe that's why I didn't like it. I was probably 12 when I tried to read The Hobbit. 
Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration required. Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration required. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't a fan because I just, I don't know, first 10 yeah. pages or whatever, I was it, like, I don't understand what's happening. Tolkien here. isn't the most compelling children's author. I, I quite enjoyed it, but I don't think it's for everyone. Yeah. He did write a, a fun children's book called Roverandom about a little toy dog that gets lost and finds its way home. He wrote oh. it for his son. It's super cute. That's so sweet. But he, he should stick to the Roverandoms for children's because... Hobbit is, I feel like Hobbit's more of a Y, an early YA type book, mm-hmm. I guess, except like yeah. Bilbo's like, what, 50 something, so. It's reminiscent of maybe like the era of where Treasure Island came from. Yeah. Where it's like, you're not as compelled to see it as a children's novel. I think that's a really great way of putting it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've read Treasure Island. It's a great book. And I can see how for the time it was a children's novel. Yeah. But reading it now, I'm like, I don't identify with this child. Yeah. That makes sense. Because I think even for fantasy, even with The Hobbits, you have to identify with mm-hmm. the character on some yeah. level in and, order for it to be compelling, especially mm-hmm. as a child. And I think what made... Um, the Hobbit more of a children's novel for its time is that a lot of other fantasy stories would sort of almost be like big godlike Hercules person just does everything like Beowulf just like oh yes I am Beowulf I kill things and am basically a god whereas you're following in in the Hobbit you're following what's essentially a short food loving guy who likes his tea yeah. Like a kid can resonate with the bumbling British dude who is missing his tea time to go slay a dragon. But for sure, yeah. I think C.S. Lewis, like you said, the characters are more introspective in a way that children can appreciate. No, I said right? the opposite. Oh, right, 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 my bad. Yeah, <laughs> they are slightly more introspective dependent on their age. Yeah. Lucy Pevensey, the youngest is a lot more introspective in The Magician's Nephew. Polly and um, Diggory are a lot more introspective because they're very much so observing the world around them and they're like, wow, this is cool, Like, but we should go home and you know, go back to your uncle and tell him what's happened. And they're much more childlike than I would say Tolkien's characters are. That's fair. And... I think it's not hard to argue that um, Tolkien's characters are um, a bit more relatable. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, aside from, like, 
the big ones in Lord of the Rings, a lot of the other characters are kind of flat and really get developed like in the movie. I mean, of course, like um, Frodo's quite well developed. Right. I um, think for a child, you can relate to the kind of stubbornness that C.S. Lewis's characters have yeah. with them. Like Peter is very much so, I'm the big man, I can do yeah. things myself. Susan is very vain and tends to mm-hmm. go with what other people are telling her, which it's very easy to absorb the word of your elders yeah. as a teenage girl, mm-hmm. especially if it's your mother that you look up to, especially in that time period when all you're wanting is to marry a rich man, get mm-hmm. married, and be a housewife. That was what she wanted to do, so she was very vain, very focused yeah. on that goal, and very focused on being the caretaker. And I think for the time, a lot of people could relate to that. Edmund is still like the kid that wants to be a grown-up. Mm-hmm. And wants to be taken seriously and wants to be too cool for everybody, which I think is relatable even today. Mm-hmm. And then Lucy is very much so childlike, full of joy, the person that everybody wants to be. Yeah. Whereas if you want to characterize Frodo and Sam and everybody else, yeah. Really quick for like. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Frodo's largely. I think Frodo, the Hobbits are more easy for a child to relate to, especially since yeah. he originally wrote it as a ch- children's book and then expanded yeah. it. Like, Frodo is just sort of a happy-go-lucky dude, son of Bilbo, sort of adventurous, curious Isn't he nephew dude. of Bilbo? He, nephew. Uh, why did I mess that up? I should know this. You've um, read no. this book so yes, many times. Yes, his parents died and Bilbo adopted him. I am ashamed. Anyways. I'm ashamed of you. You should be ashamed of me. Ooh. Break up with me right now because I deserve On it. The spot. On the it's spot. Over. It's We're over. We're done. Um, yes, he's his nephew, but a lot of his development through the series is his corruption with the ring and right. almost like a, it's almost like addiction. That's more of an adult principle to yeah. me. Where you would relate to, like, the thirst for power. Because even if it's not addiction, all adults crave success and Mm -hmm. power and wealth beyond their wildest dreams. And that's what the ring offers Frodo. Yeah. And adults, like, I think that's more of a metaphor for how Mm -hmm. material things can consume you. Yeah. Especially when you throw Gollum in the mix. Oh, my God. Oh, Gollum is a spicy boy. We love Gollum in this household. Despite not having read the books, I think Gollum is the most intricate character I have ever encountered, and that is saying something. He's he's quite a complex boy, one could say, to put it technically. Yes. Yes. I think a kid could relate to, like, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, because they're big, tough dudes coming to save the day. They're like, cool, want to be that guy. But then, like... Gollum, as intricate as it is, that's the type of character that I think resonates more with adults. Right. Like Gollum, and then I think even Frodo does, and then Sam Mm -hmm. is kind of somewhere in the middle where he's like the moral compass. Okay, but I love Sam. I love Sam Sam is an icon. No, I'm saying that's a good thing. I Mm -hmm. think that in ways some people can probably relate to Sam because he Mm -hmm. is the moral compass. Yes. Or like, he may not even be embodying of a trait, but Mm -hmm. he may just be like... A reminder for people like that someone or something will always steer you back in the right direction. He's, he's loyal. He's a golden retriever boy. And for the love of God, Frodo, kiss him already. 
Oh my god, yeah, we were having a cow. We were like, you know what? We don't think Tolkien intended for Sam and Frodo to be yay, but we think they are. Let us know your thoughts. I will put up a poll on the Instagram. I don't think it was intent. I, I, it was no, not. There's listen, no way it was in 19, intended. When was the Lord of the Rings published? Because uh, Like 40-something? I think 49. It took him a while to yeah. write it. So back in the four late 40s, I don't think Tolkien would have intended that just because it wasn't the norm back then. Like, mm-hmm. You find so many undertones of things from older literature where you're like, you know what, this probably could exist. And I don't know enough about Tolkien to know whether he intended it or not. I don't think he did. But just, yeah, just his disposition, if like mm-hmm. I read up on him, I'm like, there's no way he intended that. And but we think it would have been great. I think he, I, in some ways, I think he was more like cool and socially awesome than people give him credit for. And in some ways, he wasn't like he wrote. He the Nazi party asked him to publish the his, um the Hobbit and make some edits and stuff. And he wrote a scathing letter that he then made public about, like, just roasting them for how inaccurate their quote-unquote Aryan race bullshit was with, like, historical and linguistic shit. He was openly opposed to them. He was a huge environmentalist who stopped driving and rode his bike everywhere. But at the same time, his some of his characterizations in the books lead you to question how he sees other races. Right, because he was he was Roman Catholic. He was Roman Catholic. And it's also, he it, may not subscribe to, like, the Aryan race side of things. He may be a little bit more progressive than most people mm-hmm. of his time. But I think because of his religious background, that may not have been... Not even just the religious background, but in the first book, for instance, he describes, I forget the name, it was like a brief offhand criminal, he described him as like squint-eyed and stuff. And the way he describes like certain tribes of men, for instance, mm-hmm. leads you to believe like, this feels kind of racist. And I think some of mm-hmm. that's in Peter Jackson's directing, some of that's in Tolkien's writing. We aren't here to... I think it's it's probably a little both. Probably a little both. Yeah. I can't speak to it because he was pretty private about a lot of his political beliefs. Um, but yes, this is getting off topic. Let's get back to C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. We've talked about the way they write their characters and build their worlds. What else should we, we talk about? We talked a little about storytelling too. Yes. Um, I kind of want to talk about the overlap characters Oh my now. god, yes. Yes. You want to okay. start this off? I do. So you guys, there's something that we have discovered. Well, I discovered through Reed and then I did a little bit digging on C.S. Lewis's end and realized that he has done this too. Because of their friendship, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien actually used each other in their work, meaning there are characters in both of their novels that are um, inspired by the other person. So, in the Narnia series, this is actually something I discovered today because I was trying to figure out which character C.S. Lewis had based off of Tolkien. And I don't know why I didn't see it before, but um, the professor that the Pevensey children are living with, Diggory Kirk, that is who Tolkien is based off of. And funnily enough, I always used to think this as a kid, and as I've grown older, I have looked into it, and Diggory Kirk, the professor, was actually 
the nephew of the magician and the magician's nephew. So he was there when Ice Queen was awakened, Jadis, and he was there for the creation of the bylaws of Narnia. He explored the land when it was first being inhabited. He discovered all its creatures, and that's why the wardrobe exists in his house. And if you guys don't know this, I think it is mentioned in either the Dawn Treader or the Final Battle, where when Susan and Peter aren't in Narnia, they are both off doing their own various adult things. Susan is in America, and Peter is actually studying with the professor at his house. He's living back in the mansion where the wardrobe is housed, which is ironic because he's so close yet so far to the world. And I think that that speaks a little bit towards um, Tolkien's teaching skills, too, is that he's mentoring and, you know, helping guide Peter along in his knowledge. But I I think it's just... I think it's very funny that um, the professor... or. Diggory Kirk, I'm going to call him by his name, is based off of Tolkien because we were talking about this before we started recording and I looked back at the timeline of Diggory Kirk's life and it looks like he would have been around the age he was in The Magician's Nephew during World War One, which mm-hmm. is a parallel to Tolkien who had fought in World War One and suffers yes. PTSD from it and then obviously was alive to see World War Two, which is when the line the witch in the wardrobe is set, so of course he is kind of recluse away from everybody. He takes in the children and looks after them. But he prefers to be left alone. I think that's a very thorough analysis. Thank you. <laughs> tends to happen from people from fangirls like you. Well, this happens. Fangirl files. Oh yes, I honestly need to make a file drawer and have like <laughs> all of my analyses in this drawer, and then Madison and I can just pull from it and be like, "What are we talking about today?" Um, but do you want to talk about Tolkien's uh, inspiration? Yes, I. Because this is my favorite do. thing to this ever is exist. My favorite, yes. So. There was a common joke around Oxford that C.S. Lewis was a slow lecturer, and Tolkien had an idea of creating a very polysynthetic language, which basically means that you just stick a ton of parts together and, like, the words get really long. That's all you need to know. So sometimes he was almost wondering, like, huh, what happens if you create, like, a language that marks for this, that marks for gender, for case, all sorts of stuff that just marks for everything and takes a really long time to say. And who would have time to say that? Like a tree. So who would be the slow-talking tree that goes on long-winded rants and talks really slowly and is always on the verge of falling asleep? And it's philosophical. Oh, and is philosophical, yes. C.S. Lewis tree beard and i can just imagine the like conversation that ensued when tolkien was writing this and he just went up to c.s lewis and goes hey so you're a character (laughs) in my book and he's like oh that's sick bro what (laughs) which character am i and he goes you're a tree and then i could just see c.s lewis being like fuck you (laughs) like (laughs) i just imagine so much sass in this friendship and I, i i'm here for it I know this podcast was supposed to be a C.S. Lewis versus J.R.R. Tolkien 
But I truly just, this is us fangirling and fanboying yes. about them yes. for an hour. 110%. And I think we're both okay with that, so. Actually, I think C.S. Lewis, um, I fact-checked myself here a little bit. I think C.S. Lewis was known for his big presence in booming voice, which still which, ties yeah. into Treebeard. Embod- like it embodies yes. him, especially in the movie. If you hear Treebeard speak, it like wakes so the earth. Especially because it brings in... Oh, Lord of the Rings would be so much, so much shorter if Tolkien didn't talk about trees so much. Which I yeah. love, but I don't think you would love. But, oh, I love that C.S. Lewis is Treebeard. Oh, uh, no, I know. I think... When you told me that while we were watching the movie together, and this was my first time ever watching the movies, I was never big into them when I was a kid. Again, please don't hate me if that's why you're listening to this podcast. But I was never big into them, and then we were watching the movie, and Treebeard comes on, and he goes, hey, you know that's C.S. Lewis? And I just couldn't stop laughing, <laughs> because I was like, I see it. Because I've heard this man speak before, I'm like, I, I, I see it. He's so flamboyant in his speech. It's... And it's it's mm. beautiful. It's, I love him. Mm, I I love that. That's just so iconic. Just oh, imagine if you just wrote Madison into like a book. Oh my god! Writing. I will. At the beginning of the first Avenger, I was trying to remember which movie it was from, and it was when Bucky was about to go off to war, and he goes, "Don't be stupid," or like, "Don't do anything stupid," and he goes, "How can I? You're taking all the stupid with you," like Steve says to him. So every time Madison and I exit a room from each other and I'm like, don't do anything stupid. And she goes, well, you have all the stupid here with you. So I just feel like <laughs> writing her into one of my novels would be the only way the novel would be likable. Here's the question, though. Would you write her in as the, um, as Pure the kid evil. who becomes... Pure evil. <laughs> okay. You're going to be as petty as making her a tree? No. Can you make, Can you be no, that no, petty? No, but she'd just be pure evil. Madison is my evil cohort in life. Just describing a little demon in a cage. <laughs> if anyone has ever heard Madison's shriek, that's what it sounds like. A little demon in a cage. There's one more thing I kind of want to touch on with you. Yes. So, out of Tolkien's books out of the series that you love do you have a favorite book of the lord of the rings yes and why i quite like return of the king Explain. um well i don't know is I, there I anything think... he does specifically actually uh, i like the two towers quite a lot I, I like all of them i'm sorry um hmm it's i think it's just in the sense that he ties everything together and I, I think just I remember reading it and really getting excited as Sam was uh, taking Frodo with him and he he took out the the light and everything and oh, oh I just remember reading that and like getting all excited and it was like 1 a.m. and stuff like that I think that's why it's my favorite the ending of Lord of the Rings in the book is pretty damn different than the movie and I hate to be one of those people who's like it's different in the movie. I actually think I like it better in the movie, mm-hmm. like for the application of the movie, because for Tolkien, for the book purpose, then they came back 
and Saruman, who's the white wizard that ended up turning evil, he's back by the name of Sharky, because he didn't get killed in the book, and he's taken over the Shire and industrialized it. And from Tolkien's perspective, that's huge, because he was a big environmentalist, and it was like the corruption of this um, like little society, his little perfect Hobbiton Shire area, you know? And... In the movie, I don't think that would resonate as well. Like, oh, look, this guy never died. He took over. Now a big sad ending. Bye. So instead, Peter Jackson does this beautiful ending of just, they come back and everything's the same, but because of the trauma that they've been through, they don't quite fit in. And Mm. I think that's a beautiful cinematic ending. And I just really like the... The Return of the King in both Lord of the Rings and in the movies. And sort of the way they interact with each other and tell different stories. What about you? Favorite I, Narnia? Okay. This is my favorite book, not the movie, because the movie was terrible. Okay. My favorite book was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Mm. It has been ever since I was little when I read it for the first time. I really enjoyed the concept of... Edmund and Lucy kind of being on their own together because they were the only two that still believed in Narnia. And, of course, at the end of Prince Caspian, Aslan had said to Peter and Susan, your time here is done, but Edmund and Lucy's is not. So the idea that they get to take their cousin with them, show him how to be good. I loved how the whole book, it was them sailing through almost like the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Because they go to Duffer's Island where there is a whole race of people that has been asleep for so long. And they say the only way for them to wake is to leave their crew and sail on to, I believe, uh-huh. where the world ends. Which is almost essentially reminiscent of the Odyssey. Huh. Because they sail into a realm of people. They said, like, it's almost mm-hmm. identical. And I obviously didn't know that at the time and I'm sorry that it's not a very accurate summary I'm not as um freshly versed on this as Reed is no I I liked the way that that's I think the novel that allowed for the most character growth from Edmund Lucy Eustace and Caspian too because Caspian does fall in love with Ramandu's daughter which is Ramandu is on the Duffer's Island I believe it's called And his daughter is the one that Caspian falls in love with. She is the princess of the island. And I think because of that, Caspian has this remarkable growth. And he's actually competing with Edmund for her love. So they both have this growth of like, okay, I guess I will protect from here. And like, it'll be fine. And then Caspian can have her. And then Edmund steps into his role as a king when he's always been second to Peter. And so I think that... That's why that's my favorite book, but the movie was done terribly. I expected it to be done so well, because I actually loved the actors for the Narnia series. I loved Skander Kane's Honest, that's who played Edmund. Mm -hmm. I loved him. I thought he was a magnificent actor when I was a kid. Probably (laughs) excited. I thought that (laughs) that was going to be so great, especially because the graphics looked so cool, and I was like, you know what? It's Narnia, and it's going to be great. It was so bad. Like, the whole island concept, it was very cheesily done. It reminded me of a Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> you know how, like, there's that whole scene in the live-action Scooby-Doo where they're in the haunted house and everything, like, there's a feast on the table. Yeah. And that's what it reminded me of. 
when the when the people on the island were asleep, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" I remember I was like, "I don't know how old I, I was a kid," and I was like, "What the fuck am I looking at?" So in terms of the Narnia movies, they definitely did not do as good of a job as Lord of the Rings did. Yeah. The Narnia movies, I would say that Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe was the best one because not only were the battle scenes perfect, not only was it the most factually accurate, but also the score. Mm, Immaculate. Mm. Yeah. But my favorite book was probably The Dawn Trotter. And then I remember a lot more about The Silver Chair Mm -hmm. because that's when Edmund and Lucy aren't a part of Narnia anymore. And Eustace, the cousin, goes back by himself. And he's still playing the role of this badass kid at school, like, mm-hmm. not wanting to have anything to do with anyone. Like, not badass. He was kind of a brat. <laughs> but, like, he basically is, like, biding his time at this point, wanting to go back to Narnia where he can actually be himself and not, mm-hmm. like, pretend to be an asshole. And so it, it then becomes his job to save Narnia because Caspian is now old and gray and... I just liked seeing that was when I saw the most growth with mm-hmm. the characters, whereas with books one through four, there was not a lot of growth. And I think it took Peter and Susan's exit to yeah. have the growth of the characters who we originally cared about, which were those that discovered Narnia. And You're a very yeah. character-driven reader, aren't you? I am a very character-driven reader. It's not always plot. I mean, no, I love plot, and I think yeah. I personally, as a writer, am better at coming up with plot. But if the character is not likable, I'm not going to give a fuck. Yeah, I get you. And even from your your Harry Potter fanaticism, for instance, I like a lot of the side characters especially are really interesting. Oh my god. Even though uh, I want I'm going to I'm going to go into I'm going to do a whole solo episode <laughs> about Harry Potter characters that I find interesting that are not necessarily main characters. And by main characters, I mean Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Although Ron and Hermione are quite mm, chef's kiss. Okay, but they are part of the Golden Trio, and yeah, I don't want to talk that's about fair. them. There's enough. There's enough about that, and I would love to do an episode about... Draco. Draco, Neville, Fred and George Weasley, Charlie Weasley, Bill Weasley, Just Bellatrix Lestrange, Sirius Black, I can do... <laughs> I will go off about everybody. Gotta bring Harry Potter in some point. We we always do, my friends. It's in the contract that totally exists. Maybe next time I'll do Twilight. Well, you guys will hear me go (laughs) off. Good thing Madison's coming back. Uh... Also, fun fact, Madison and I, I'm going to give you a preview of next week's episode. Madison and I, for you Marvel fans, will be discussing WandaVision, which is set to come out. On Friday with episode one on Disney Plus, we are gonna have a good time reviewing that, talking about series predictions, maybe Doctor Strange's multiverse of madness because it's supposed to tie into that somehow. But I guess we'll see where the discussion takes us. But that's what's happening next week. Um, thank you to Reed for joining me today. And thank you to Sabrina for hosting this podcast. You're welcome. Please listen to it. Because you're, even though you're in it, you're one of our few listeners. So yeah, no, I'll, I'll get you that extra listen. Thanks. Works. But that being said, thank you guys for listening. And as per always, please follow me and Madison on Instagram at Sabrina Canown and at Wolf Silhouettes. I will put both of our usernames in the description box. Follow 
our podcast Instagram at Fangirl Files Podcast. And please follow our Fangirl Files Twitter at Fangirl Files Pod on Twitter. We will also post updates on there for you. We also have a YouTube channel. And please, 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 you guys, subscribe. Leave us a review if you can on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor, on anywhere that leaves podcast reviews. Please subscribe and review us because we really want to have more fun fangirl discussions with you all. With that being said, I'm sorry this word, this episode was such a uh, word vomit, but we had some fun. And I will catch y'all next Wednesday. Have a good weekend and get the fuck out of here. That was rude. <laughs> that, that's, our, that's our outro. We've, we've agreed upon it. I know. You're going to cut this. Configuring the Bluetooth. Deciding who controls the music. Avoiding potholes. Remembering where you parked. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with Auto Owners Insurance, getting the right coverage for your vehicle doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who live in your community and answer when you call, so you can get back to more important things, like remembering if you're on the third or fourth level of the parking garage. That's simple human sense. Ask your independent agent if Auto Owners makes sense for you. Hey guys, I'm Serafina, and thanks for listening to SGP Radio. Stream our podcast and more across SGP Radio platforms, including the Brandon Gerald Productions app for iOS and Android. Or you can visit www.bgpllcapp.com. Stream, download, listen, like, Share, subscribe, repost, binge, and enjoy this podcast and so much others like Not Your Token Black Girl, Working Gals Guide, Black Girl Storytime, Juice Pro Wrestling, Black Guy Wrestling, and Podcasts About Nothing. We have so much more on our stations. Tell it for her noir and wrestling fans including sgp radio originals and our blogs enjoy support for this episode has been provided by ratio keto friendly crunchy bars if counting macros makes your head spin count instead on a snack by ratio they've done the math for you so you can spend less time studying the label and more time enjoying your day Delicious and convenient, both their toasted almond and lemon almond flavors have two grams of net carbs and a unique combination of sugar and protein, all in a satisfying crunch. Interested? Ratio keto-friendly bars are now available in the granola bar aisle at Walmart. As a small business owner, you're redefining business as usual. From rethinking the way you work to reassessing your bandwidth, you're changing the way you do business. And at Cox Business, so are we. With flexible internet packages to get you back to business. Rethink, reconnect, reimagine. Get 50 megs of internet for only $70 per month for six months. No annual contract required. Ends 12-31-20 restrictions apply. Visit coxbusiness.com for details. All services subject to Cox Business general terms. Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. 
Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. Wendy's Baconator is the ultimate bacon cheeseburger that puts all other cheeseburgers to cheeseburger shame. And now we're bringing that same big bacon energy to shake up and wake up your breakfast with the Breakfast Baconator. Stacked with a fresh cracked egg, sausage, cheese, and bacon. And right now, you can get a free Breakfast Baconator with purchase in the Wendy's app. So get to Wendy's and always be Baconating. We got you. Offer available at participating U.S. Wendy's for a limited time during breakfast hours only. Offer must be redeemed via the app. Account registration required. 